welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Michael Sambrooks and Louis Maldonado from Andiron coming up in a little bit. Before I introduce my co-host this week, I just want to say I'm going to take a couple of weeks off from the podcast uh, just to kind of refresh, recharge, rethink. But don't worry, I'm very, I'm very committed to this show. I know how much people enjoy it because I get that feedback all the time. It makes me feel great. So I just need a couple of weeks off. And then in mid-November, we'll come back, push through the end of the year, talk about all the exciting openings, best new restaurants, all that stuff. But a couple of weeks off and then right back at it. So with that said, let me introduce my co-host this week. She is a beverage consultant who has created the programs for some of Houston's best restaurants and bars linda salinas welcome back to the show how are you freaking awesome (laughs) thanks for doing this let us dive right into the news of the week topic number one i just want to recap the southern smoke festival very briefly this was the first southern smoke festival to happen since 2019 and in between now and then The Southern Smoke Foundation has gained an incredible amount of national prominence. It was very influential during the pandemic, helping unemployed hospitality workers deal with the effects of being restaurant shutdowns and and temporarily losing their jobs. It was featured on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire when David Chang won a million dollars and donated it to Southern Smoke. So instead of a one-day you know, affair in the underbelly parking lot. It was a three-day bash that culminated in the East Downtown Throwdown, which took over uh, basically several blocks of Edo, including the area around 8th Wonder Brewery and over by where uh, Indianola is and for agricultural hospitality. All in, the event raised $1.6 million for the Southern Smoke Foundation, which is something like four times what the festival raised in 2019. Linda, I say all that to say to you, as someone who attended both Friday night's H-Town Welcome Wagon and Sunday's East Downtown Throwdown, what'd you think? If you're going to go to a food event, this is the event that you should always go to. From like From Friday being like, you know, probably 25, 30 chefs, to the big monster festival that was Sunday was incredible. You know, I don't really fangirl over a lot of people, but like for, I I had a few moments of like, it's Tom Calicchio, you know, it's a, it's a lot of that. There's so many fantastic bites, man, the people that were working from people from across the country to people that are generally just behind the line and running restaurants. There was just, there was so much great food and great personalities. So it, it literally was, it was the best event of the year. I think that that's right. I think what the festival offers is the chance for up close personal interaction with people that you basically only like read about or see on television. Yeah. Right. You could go to Franklin barbecue in Austin and Aaron Franklin may or may not be there. He's got a lot going on, but if you go to the Southern smoke festival, he is slicing the brisket and we'll hand it to you. Tom Calicchio has restaurants all over the country, 
you know, on any given night, who knows where he is. Yeah. But if you if you go to the Southern Smoke Festival, he's roasting the oysters. He's handing you that that yeah. roasted oyster with the the pizza butter. So, you know, Chris Bianco, right? Working the pizza mm-hmm. oven and 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 on and on and on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Ryan Para, you know, is the chef owner of Agricole Hospitality. Guess what? He was making a delicious freaking taco and was slinging delicious snacks you know so it's it was really i mean honestly it was such a great event cocktails are awesome wine was flowing uh it was i mean it was a long event so um i mean and not only that but it it helps hospitality because i mean we got hit we got hit really really hard during the pandemic and and not only that but we've had we've had so many friends to be helped by southern smoke so it's fantastic all right, let me let me give you the, the philosophical question that we'll move on. Mm. What does it say about kind of Houston and our culinary scene that we could pull off a big event like this that draws all these big names from all over the country? I mean, Chris Shepard says it best. We take care of our own. We just we take care of our own. All right. Topic number two. Your friend and mine, Master Chef winner Christine Ha and her husband John Suh announced that they are opening Stuffed Belly, a gourmet sandwich shop that will open in the same Spring Ranch Shopping Center as the new location of The Blind Goat. Uh, The Blind Goat is going to move from Bravery Chef Hall to Spring Branch in December. Stuffed Belly will follow in roughly March, April. I think what's interesting to me about Stuffed Belly is that this is not a Vietnamese restaurant. Instead, it will serve like kind of classic sandwiches, fried chicken, grilled cheese, tuna salad, stuff like that. Linda, you know Christine pretty well. Yeah. So let me throw it to you. What do you think about this plan of hers to open a sandwich shop? You know, it's funny that we we, we talk about this. Um, I had dinner with her and John a couple of days ago, and they were asking about favorite sandwiches. And it was it was the overwhelming topic that there isn't very good sandwiches in Houston with the exception of like Winnie's and a couple of other, of, they're really yeah, local a, foods makes a good sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like that menu hasn't changed since they opened really. Right. Um, but I think when we, when we talked about it, I think in uh, the whole, as a whole, we all talked about simplicity, what makes things really great. And I think for sandwiches, one of the things that we kept saying over and over again, it's like, what have been your best sandwiches across the country? What have been your best bites? Is And I think that great ingredients and simplicity is going to drive that machine. And so I think we chatted a little bit. I, I, you know, we were, of course, throwing around like, oh, you should do a Szechuan peppercorn hot Nashville chicken. And they were like, of course, both of them were like, Y'all, everyone needs to calm down. We're not going to do anything weird. We want to do simple. So um, I'm excited to see what they have They have coming down, down that pipeline. And I mean, I think that the city in general has a lot of really great items that someone just needs to really attack, you know, good bread, good meats, good ingredients, you know, in general. So I'm excited to see what they have. I hear that complaint about sandwiches all the time. And, and I, I sort of understand where people are coming from. We have sandwiches in styles, right? We have yeah. we have deli sandwiches. We certainly have plenty of barbecue sandwiches. We have tortas. We have burgers. And of course, the thing with the sandwiches, they're, they're sort of personal. 
And so, you know, how do you, how do you put your spin on it? It's got to be better than what you can make at home. Right. Cause that's always the thing is you can always just like, you can always go to the grocery store and buy like good meat and good bread and whip something up. Yeah, so be- but it's also, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that it's, it's that, I mean, I think it's harder to make sandwiches at home because then what are you going to do with the rest of the stuff? You know what I mean? Like right. who, you, you know, like there is a lot of really great ingredients, but it's like, I, I think, we, I mean, come on, Houstonians like good, good, good convenience eats. So I'm here for that. I'm definitely here for that. I'm excited to see what Christine does with it. And, and frankly, I'm just excited that not that not that I don't enjoy her Vietnamese food, right? I, I think the blind goat is great. Sin Chow was nominated for Best Chef Texas this year in the James Beard Awards. I thought that was well deserved. But having had her Vietnamese food and enjoyed her Vietnamese food, it's like, all right, now show me show me a, a different club in your bag. You know, yeah. let's see let's see what you do because I I think that's and that shows her evolution as a as a chef and restaurateur. And and I I do have a lot of respect for the fact that they're bringing in Nick Wong to help them open the Blind Goat because you know she's you know she won that TV show and and she's she's done a lot of media she's written a cookbook but you know she's still relatively inexperienced in terms of running a restaurant and bringing in Nick Wong is really smart because he knows a lot about restaurants. Dude, Nick Wong Nick Wong is a badass. <laughs> <laughs> like just as a whole, like he is a freaking badass. So I'm excited to see what they, what he ends up bringing into the, into the mix. Absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, Nico Nikos has claimed a former Lubies in the woodlands for a fourth location that's opening next fall. So roughly 10 to 12 months from now. And I know, I know how you feel about this kind of stuff, but they bought the building. So this is not some vaporware thing. It's definitely happening. So let me just ask you, what do you think of Nico Nico's and how do you think it's going to play in the woodlands? You know, it's funny. You, you asked this, like someone else was asking me if they're like, um, how much you hate the suburbs and, you know, being outside the, outside the loop. You know what? I've changed my mind. I retract all of my my shit talking about the suburbs. You guys stay out there. You guys need more stuff out there. Like, like <laughs> I think it's look, y'all are crowding up the inside the loop. Y'all state need to stay out there. We need to send more stuff. We need to send you out, send you better cocktails. We need to send you more snacks. We need to send you more, more good people. I'm really excited to see what Nico Nico's has out there. Honestly, like I have I've been I've been having to trek out and I'm like, you know what? They need this. Nico Nico's is an, an institution. And I mean, I, I go to the market square one all the time for, for like a Euro to sit at the park and stuff. And so I don't really know what else they have Mediterranean out there. I'm sure they have other things, but I think it's a smart move on their part. Yeah. I have to admit, I am not fully familiar enough with what's up in the woodlands to know what it's the competition for Nico's Nico Nico's yeah. is going to be. But I will say, I doubt they have anything at this scale or that that's this prominent, right? Because this is a 10,000 square foot restaurant with a tremendous local reputation. I think for a lot of Houstonians, I sort of joke about, you know, the first place I had pho and Vietnamese egg rolls and dishes like that was at Mai's. Mm-hmm. I- I'm pretty sure the first place I ever had a gyro was at Nico Nico's. Yeah, of course. And I, and I think that's true for a lot of like, 
you know, the longer you've lived here, I think that that's probably true for a lot of Houstonians. And there are so many great dishes on that menu. The kebabs are very good. That that chicken lemon soup. Yes. <laughs> when you're a little bit under the weather, like that is just, it's the cure for what ails you. And having talked to Dimitri Fedekakis about kind of his vision for the place and and really turning it into a showcase, he's like, well, you know, we we kind of hide where we make the honey balls at the at the Montrose location, but this place is big enough that we could have like, you know, an action station. You could kind of watch it happen. You know, he wants to have rotisseries. He's doing a, he does a rotisserie pork at the the Memorial Spring Branch location. So he's like, okay, so we could do rotisserie pork and rotisserie lamb. And all of these improvements, all of this evolution, you know, still keeping at the core of what makes Nico Nico's what it is, but just it makes it a little bit, you know, adds a little bit of theater, adds a little, adds a, a little interactivity and, and says to the Woodlands, like, you know, you're special. We're, we've gone above and beyond for you. Come and eat this food. I think all of that is sort of good. Yeah. I'm excited for that too. Absolutely. All right. Well, Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on-site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm, which relocated to downtown last year, it's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants and entertainment destinations. That's greenstreetdowntown.com. Linda, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Wild. This is the Montrose location of the coffee shop and cocktail bar that opened in the Heights last year. Uh, The Heights location is kind of, doesn't really have like a food component. You know, it's got drinks, and you can get CBD or THC products. You can get your drinks infused with CBD or, or Delta-8, which is a legal form of THC. And that's that's kind of what Wild is. And they've stepped things up considerably for this Montrose location. They took the former UB Preserve space. It's a restaurant. It's open every day. They serve brunch kind of in the morning and in the lunchtime. And then they flip over and they do a whole dinner menu that's a little bit more fine dining. They hired Herman Mascara, who's been most recently at Verdine, but was at La Calendor for a little while. Roots Bistro back in the day. You know, a, a very talented, very dynamic chef. Linda, I sell that to say to you. What'd you think of our meal at Wild? You know, 
first off, like I, I mourned the loss of UB Preserve. And so I kind of walked in there being like, I'm not going to like this place because that's how I am. <laughs> but yeah, you're um, a hater. Everybody knows that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I loved it. I, lo- I, lo- I mean, I loved how it was styled. I liked the look of the cocktails. I was a little confused at the coffee shop style service with fancy food, but I think they're still trying to figure it out. And and I think we ended up chatting a little bit about how the menu was, is still trying to get a little ev- evolved. But I mean, I, I really honestly like, I think it's a really nice addition to Montrose because it isn't like anything else. It's styled real pretty. And I mean, the ladies of libation ended up doing those cocktails. And I mean, everything I've seen them uh, make is, I think, gold. So uh, I, I still want I still want to go check out the brunch because I think they do brunch all day long. I think every day. Right. Is that correct? Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that's that that is a, a good spot that's going to do very well. So, yeah, I agree with you about all of that. You know, it seems like it should be gimmicky with the infusions and the CBD and all of that. But like you walk in and it's got this really fun tropical setting. It doesn't look anything like UB preserve, you know, they really made it their own. And then the drinks are really good. I had that pastor margarita with the tahid, which is kind of something they become known for. I think you had, a non-alcoholic cocktail infused with CBD mm-hmm. that, that you really enjoyed. And then, you know, we get into the food and it's clear that Herman is really up to something with this place. I mean, he's doing some really tasty kind of global inspired cuisine that is kind of what you would expect from him if you've eaten his food at other places. Was there anything that you remember from our meal that really stood out? The fried rice, fried rice and dumplings. I think those are my, those are my two bites, the two bites that I was like, bam. I was like, this is, this is right. Um, but you know, it's like, I like going somewhere where there, it's not just the same stuff over and over again, as much as I do love a burger, as much as I do love a, a like a steakhouse, you know, those things are just really boring to me. And so having a space across the street from, Rosie Cannibal, Hugo's. I mean, those are icons on, on their own. I think it's good to have a good di- diversity of a different bird's eye view in, in, in a, like for that, for a different cuisine even. So I'm excited to see what, what else they've got going on. Yeah, just sort of looking back at the pictures, I think, you know, a couple of the dishes that stood out for me, you know, we had that whole Thai style fried fish Yeah, uh, with the sticky rice. You know, really nicely cooked, really juicy. You know, it's snapper, so it's it's meaty. It's got that nice flake to it. And then his Japanese glazed octopus, that that was the dish uh, with the fried rice that we both really liked. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think, you know, this is not, you know, th- these are not inexpensive dishes necessarily. And I, and I should say, you know, we were, we were their guests, so we weren't paying and they knew we were coming and all that stuff. But, you know, I think, that they do have like a sense of presentation, a little bit of a sense of occasion to them. And they're certainly big enough to share. So, you know, if that snapper is $55, $60, whatever it is, at least it comfortably, mm-hmm. comfortably feeds two people. Oh yeah. More than that. Yeah, for sure. 
so, you know, we haven't been for brunch yet. I mean, do you want to go back? Do you want to explore more of this menu? Yes, absolutely. That's really, I mean, that's really, if they, if, if these guys are firing at all cylinders for brunch, I welcome this. <laughs> Gladly welcome this. We need more brunch spots, you know? No, absolutely. And you and I, we, we like a weekday breakfast. Yes. You know, it feels like a little treat. And so this place opens at 8 a.m. every morning. That may not be, that may not work for people with real jobs that need to eat before they go to the office, but it works just fine for layabouts like us. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Anything else? No, that's it. All right. Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Awesome. And I'll be right back with Louis Maldonado and Michael Sambrooks. I am joined this week by the chef and owner behind Andiron, a new steakhouse coming soon to Montrose. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. Owner Michael Sambrooks, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Chef Louis Maldonado, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you. Lewis, since you are new to the show, yeah. let, me, let me start with you. Tell me a little bit about kind of your background. How did you, how did you decide to become a professional chef? Oh, wow. Um, so born and raised in California, the Bay Area. Um, very like blue collar family, um, surrounded by amazing cooks. But it was never something I really ever considered. I had other dreams that were just dreams. Um, and there's, I was what, I was 19 years old. My dad was very like pressuring me to like figure my life out basically. Um, like figure out the next 40 years. I need an answer like tomorrow. Um, and you know, it just so happened. My grandparents met some people whose son or grandson was going to culinary school. Uh, they came back, they told me about it. I asked a good family friend about it. She happened to be friends of the president of the culinary school and got me my interview. And literally like two weeks later, I was moving to San Francisco and going to culinary school. Um, no clue of what I was ever signing up for. Like I had never really looked at cookbooks. I had cooked here and there, but nothing, you know, I don't have that story of 16 years old working out like the Outback or anything like that. I just did it on a whim. Um, and honestly, from that point on, it's just like, I never looked back. It's always just what I've done as an adult. Um, so I just fell into it really. And we should say, I mean, you've, you've developed, uh, quite a resume over the course of your career. I mean, you, you worked at the French laundry, you. I've done uh, really well. <laughs> I mean, you, I've, I've done pretty good. I can't, you, you, I can't complain. You were a Michelin star, uh, at a restaurant in San Francisco. Yeah. Michelin star, French laundry. Um, yeah. I mean, from, that that part I look back on it. It's something I still. I think I've always grasped the most the moments a lot more than most because I I just it's blown my mind. You know, it's always like each restaurant I've gone to is so special in its own way because I've worked at so few restaurants. Um, so I've really never taken any of those opportunities for granted and just really like embraced my time everywhere I was. 
All right. I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in this for just a moment. Then I'm going to, I'll circle back to you, but, but Michael, let me, let me bring you in on this. You started with the pit room. Uh, you did 1751. You did Candente. Why Andiron? Why a steakhouse as the next kind of evolution of, of your hospitality group? Well, you know, it's, it, if you look at kind of what we've done and, it, and, you know, starting with the pit room, you know, we like to look at concepts that, you know, are popular concepts that are food that people like to eat. And we like to try and put, you know, our approach and our spin on them and say, you know, okay, that's what's been done. What does the next 15, 20 years look like for this concept? Whether it's barbecue, Tex-Mex, you know, steak, seafood. Uh, and that's kind of where we, we, we obviously have kind of a passion for the wood burning thing, starting with, you know, how we were born and raised with the pit room. And, um, you know, I've always followed, you know, the, the grill restaurants, the international grill restaurants has been fascinated by the people that cook, you know, everything over live fire. And, you know, I thought, you know, what a great concept and, you know, how can we apply that to something that's, you know, you know, really, really popular in our market. And, um, you know, the idea of, you know, applying that wood burning grill restaurant concept to, you know, a modern steakhouse kind of came up and found the space and it was kind of a, it was kind of a, the space fit one of the concepts that we had been rolling around in our minds. And, you know, when we walked in, we could kind of saw what it could be and, we go, oh, this is it. And, you know, that was kind of just next up for us. So, um, you know, that's kind of how we came up with it. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I like eating meat. I like, I like, you know, beef proteins. I like digging into the different nuances of, you know, you know, Wagyu versus, you know, Black Angus versus Prime, all natural, you know, really exploring those different things. And so it was, it was a it was a good next fit. Yeah, and then I guess talk about kind of recruiting for this because you know it's it's not every Houston restaurant group that that conducts a national search for a chef for a new restaurant. Sure, I mean you know everything from design location. I mean our ambitions are incredibly high. Um, you know, so it's also a really hard concept to run. I mean, you know the it's you know it's hot it's a lot of effort you know you're cooking things the hard way um you know wanted to find somebody who had some wood burning experience in their background um and then kind of the elegance and the aesthetic that we were going for is kind of a you know a major market style restaurant and um you know, if, if someone, you know, came out of the woodworks from Houston, great. So we certainly, you know, looked in Houston, um, you know, but, you know, what I told the recruiters is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go beyond that. Um, whoever the best candidate is, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to get in front of, them. um, you know, the ambitions for this are, you know, incredibly high and, you know, we want, we wanted a candidate to match, you know, our anticipation of what this restaurant could be. And I think, you know, with Lewis, we found the perfect fit for that. Yeah. Lewis, let me, now let me bring you back into this. I mean, you've been working, what, up in the Detroit area, I think, before accepting this job. Ann Arbor. 
All right. So, so what made Andiron seem like the right next move for you? You know, it was, I mean, Texas, you know, I do have family here. My oldest son is here. Um, so when I started looking again, it was definitely like, that was a big, a big one. Um, you know, he's gonna be 14. So it's, it's definitely someone I want to be around a lot closer to. Um, and then just talking with Michael, you know, it just clicked It uh, the live fire, the, the, the technique and just cookery of animals, animals and fish alone. I think that having a conversation with someone over just like technicals, um, not really flavor, not really anything, but just like the technical side of cooking, um, really sold it. You know, it's, it is a rustic approach, but it, I think where the talent and the technique comes into is refining that fire, um, refining the technique that goes into the fire cooking. And so that for me has always been my sweet spot, which is like rustic elegance. You know, it's, it's food that looks really, really simple, but the, the back end, the, the 10 or 12 hours leading up to the day, you know, setting bones high enough over the fire that they get the right smoke, the right char. That's the stuff that like, I really, really love doing. Um, and that's the ty- type of technical kitchen I do. I do love running and like teaching that as well. Yeah. Michael, I guess talk a little bit more about kind of, you know, you, you mentioned live fire, you mentioned different, you know, grades of beef, cuts of beef. How do you see andiron fitting in or, or maybe more, more accurately, how do you see it distinguishing itself from, from what's in the market right now? Yeah. So, you know, one of, there's, there's lots of kind of different factors, obviously the wood burning thing we talked about, but you know, it's going to be highly curated, you know, there's not going to be an eight ounce, a 10 ounce, a 12 ounce filet, you know, there's not going to be, you know, four different sizes of ribeye, you know, we're picking the correct size that allows us to cook that cut the way we want it in the style that we want to do. Um, you know, all of our steaks are going to be salt crusted and charred over wood, you know, some of the, some of the items on the menu, probably going to do a picanha, you know, there's a little bit of a different technique that's going to be kind of, you know, dry roasted over live fire takes a little bit longer to pick up. Um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the depth and the, the, the curating of the different items that we can get on, on, on the menu. So, we're probably going to take a deep, deep dive into what can we import from, you know, Australia for as far as the Wagyu goes, what can we import from Japan and, you know, see if we can put something unique on the menu when we can get our hands on it. And that's going to be an ongoing effort of, of sourcing, not only beef, but, you know, seafood from Japan, that's going to be cooked over, you know, Rabada simply, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe with light sauce or something like that. It's, it's, um, it's going to be ingredient driven and there's going to be more than one live fire technique. We're not just, you know, charring steaks over a grill, putting them on a plate. There's going to be, there's going to be more of an exploration of, you know, how can live fire and charcoal and different types of wood, you know, affects really fine products in a simple way. Yeah, Lewis, I, I think that's a good time for you to kind of jump back in. Maybe talk about, you know, give me give me a specific example of this kind of meat, this specific technique, and then the 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 goal you can achieve when you when you bring them together. So I mean, we obviously have the uh, the salt crust on the steaks, but then 
you know, the interesting, the flip side and interesting side of that is to do the delicate side of the fire, you know, where we are going to steam over fire, you know, we'll set a perforated up high enough, a perforated pan high enough with whether it's halibut, uh, a nice piece of cod, whatever it is, still cooking it over the embers and the fire, but also just keeping it that really beautiful white color. Um, so we'll have the contrast, you know, we'll, we'll have a very caramelized, that char flavor, um, vegetables will, will, will definitely almost pick up like you would in a saute pan where we'll put them over the heat, spritz them in vinaigrette just until they wilt, but they don't get the char and then we'll pull them off. Um, and then just the delicacy of fish. I mean, we'll have obviously a whole fish that will grill completely over the fire. And there's the other side where if we get, you know, a beautiful spot prawn in nice halibut, anything like that, we'll cook it very delicate. Uh, barely any color, but just enough to get the heat passed through. Um, and the same with the depth of the smoke. I think there's some things where we want to create a lot of smoke and, and kind of impart that flavor. Um, but I think, you know, the, the good side is sometimes smoke does get old um, and it gets kind of redundant. And I, I know Michael could agree to that. So we want, you know, we, we don't want everything to be that smokestack. Um, we just want the light. We just want the heat or just the quick fire, the charcoal. And that's where that restaurant differs from a lot. Like there are a lot of steakhouses doing live fire. And I think it's for the sake of it. Um, how far are they really digging into it is a completely different question. Um, and I think that's what's going to separate us from a lot of people is we do bring elegance. We'll very luxurious, luxurious driven product. Um, but also that fire line is going to be at any given time, probably five to seven different cooking techniques. Yeah, and and I guess we should say, I mean, we've we've been sort of focused on meat, but you bring up seafood. I, I mean, you know, you can use these techniques even on vegetables, right? And yeah, and we're doing the full gamut. Um, you know, everything from burying our vegetables in the coals, you know, a dessert that's kind of either fruit or vegetable driven, where it's just kind of hung high over the fire, allowed to dehydrate, and then we're just gonna kind of lacquer it up, whether it's a whole pineapple. Um, you know, grilled berries, just a very simple approach that, you know, is a day to two day process. And then the final product is the most intense flavor of what we could get out of it. Um, and that really is the basis for the kitchen is how can we get the most flavor out of it? Just to, that one spoonful that just pops is the most important thing for us. And then tell me a little bit about kind of the structure of the menu. I mean, is it, is it shareables? Is it is it traditional laps and entrees? How do you how do you kind of see a meal at Andiron going? We have a pretty intentional raw section uh, with some classics, some not. You know, we're gonna definitely oysters, definitely a tartare. But what fits us? Um, there are the steakhouse classics within those, um, but definitely like our product, not the traditional. Um, so from raw, we go into the salads. Uh, we'll have a house salad a steakhouse kind of classic along with some sort of vegetable driven salad. Uh, we're going to move into tastings, which is really, you know, two to three bites, whether it's a two top or four top, you could order a few of those and you just get a nice spoonful of flavor. Um, and then we're moving into meat, which we have our selections, all single serving along with a pretty developed entree section. I feel like a lot of steakhouses don't invest in, entrees very much you know they'll do a lobster but it's pretty classic and we're taking the time to do you know 
four week age duck, whole lobster, beautiful Murray river cod. Um, what else is there? Probably a lamb of some sort, but not, but put together. Um, we move into family style from there. Uh, we're thinking whole turbo at this point, maybe a whole chicken, some sort of large format beef sauces. And then we're going to do sides. Uh, and the sides will be the gamut, you know, the, the classics, but also some new age stuff. So, I mean, I know you're, you're new to town. I mean, have you, when, when you're sort of thinking about sides and starters and, and all that, do you, do you think about like Houston specifically or, or kind of what, what's influencing uh, the direction? I think there's some on there that are definitely like the, the, classic steakhouse or that that continental cuisine i think i mean i i happen to love old school continental service and and that kind of food um so there's definitely a look backwards on the sides and you know classic potato presentations um more more so on the classic techniques and just bring them back up to now um and then there's some that are just that fit the actual concept itself um but a good mix, you know, there, there will be a potato puree, there will be a pomana. Um, but then again, we are going to do like a confit of eggplant, uh, chardonnay. So a good mix of new and old. Yeah. It's always kind of a funny balancing act because you know, on some level, you know, when I go to a, a steakhouse, I, I want the shrimp cocktail. I want the wedge salad. I want the, I want the cream spinach. That's part of the experience for me. But at the same time, it's hard to distinguish yourself because, you know, there's only so many, there's only so many things you can do. So, you know, I always, I always think like that's a fun, uh, creative cooking challenge, you know, when you're opening right. one of these is, is to, to find that balance. And that's kind of the exercise we're going through right now is, you know, there are those classics. So what's going to differentiate? what's going to be different between us versus everybody else? Um, you know, product is obviously number one. But then again, it's like, how can we tweak and modify to really get like the most flavor out of everything? I think it's one thing to do a, a wedge or a cob and change the ingredients. It's another thing to like dig into the original idea of it and really try to pull the most blue cheese flavor out of a, out of a wedge. Um, look at different pieces of bacon to pork belly and, and figure out like what is actually the best cut and best way to eat it. Like we like the cold and we like the hot. Um, so what's the best way to deliver on that? And that's really where we're at right now is with the classics, like how do we stick to kind of tradition, but also when you eat it, it's like, okay, this is, this is it. This is, there's nothing better than this. Well, and you know, the other thing about a steakhouse is there are obviously cooks where, you know, grill cooks right. who are masters of technique. There are not typically chefs, right? Correct. You know, I, it, it's not a, a chef driven kind of affair. So how do you see kind of your role as a chef and, and what do you bring to that position that, that maybe questioning? I mean, honestly, it's, it's questioning the steakhouse standard. Um, you know, the, the creative side is, is an obvious, but also like questioning, like, what is it? Like, what is a steakhouse? Like, you know, we're going to have a classic sauce program. We're going to have a saucier to do beautiful, beautiful sauce work. Um, you know, the meat cookery, the fish cookery, like we have enough dynamics and ingredients within the kitchen that, you know, there is going to be a, a roast cook, 
Um, but will I put him equal to, you know, the saute cook and everybody, like everybody has equality within that kitchen. I don't think one station is less important than the other and the kitchen will rotate. So everybody will have a, a place to be throughout the night. Like everybody kind of makes a rotation throughout that kitchen. Um, so my role is just going to be driving, driving the creativity, the vision, uh, definitely some front of the house stuff of just like those extra touches. I think we're all working on that. Um, but you know, I think it always could be refined more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you don't want the, uh, you're not going to like do the Tarasco thing, right. Where it comes out on swords and is, is our table <laughs> side, but, but a little no, no, theater, no. you know, we will, you know, we, we want to, yeah. we want to get into table side. We definitely do want to do some sort of table size service, but it's, it's gotta be intentional and it has to be fitting to what we're doing. Um, you know, everybody does a table side Caesar. Everybody does steak Diane. Like, so how can we push it further? Um, and really like, it needs to be unique to us for, for us to go to table side. So we're working on some ideas. Again, it's going to take a second, but a few that we have are like, I've never seen. Um, so it'll be good. Yeah. Michael, say a little more about kind of the rest of the dining experience. I mean, you know, you've got, obviously you're very food focused, but, but talk to me about kind of decor cocktails, you know, some of the other things that are all <clears> going <throat> to come together. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we, you know, we went for, you know, fine design, and we we hired Africo out of New York to to lead the charge on the interior design, and it's going to be a really fine dining room. You're going to see, um, you know, a lot of shibo shibashan, charred wood uh, accents. You're going to see, you know, a 20 foot custom chandelier over the bar. Uh, we've got lots of really different great dining zones that um, you know we've kind of defined within our small space. So. You know, the bar lounge has 45 seats alone. So, you know, it's a full service bar lounge that offers, you know, a little bit of a, a less serious dining experience than the main dining room. You can pop in, get a cocktail, get a few items off the Rabada, a few cup, few tastings and feel, you know, really comfortable there. And then we've got a really more intimate dining room with, um, you know, verdigreed copper and this, you know, 40 light fixture marquee on the ceiling with coffered ceilings. And, you know, it's going to be real dark and intimate and a little more serious, you know, and that's kind of where we hope people will be feel more comfortable with that multi-course dining experience. And, you know, a Psalm, you know, doing wine tastings and this, that, and the other, and we've got a lot of kind of unique uh, private event spaces. One being, uh, one being a six top, you know, that eventually we hope to do, you know, multi-course chef's dinners and wine tastings out of there. Um, you know, it comes with its own custom art feature and a uh, custom dry aging meat case that you'll see ducks hanging and A5 Wagyu and all sorts of different things aging. Um, and then we've got a fantastic patio. It's great for large groups. We've got, you know, an outdoor barn lounge that... People can book for private events or it can be open for an after dinner cocktail if you want to move from the dining room and get a different experience. Um, so there's lots of different zones for lots of different types and styles of dining. And uh, that was important, you know, because it is going to be, a, you know, a high end experience. But I think you can be incredibly comfortable, you know, 
popping into the lounge if you live in the neighborhood and getting a cocktail and a few items off the 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 small plate menu. Um, so that's important to us. Um, as far as cocktails go, you know, I you know I know everybody says it, but we're doing a really tight classic list. It's probably seven or eight different cocktails, a lot of martini focused, and you know we're gonna do you know our versions of perfect martinis. They're gonna be you know ice cold and served in a frozen glass, and just the best version of what they can be. Nothing overly unique like we do at 1751 we're not trying to go you know incredibly creative there we're just trying to make you know really delicious high quality cocktails um you know so that's kind of what we're all about i mean the wine list itself we've got you know renato great sommeliers you know he's put together you know a fantastic list that you know covers all the regions and and all that, but also has a lot of depth as far as vintages go. We've got stuff going back to, you know, the 60s. Um, so we're really excited about anything that we've done. We've tried to be incredibly thoughtful about. And that's really what the concept's all about. You know, it's just, you know, depth in everything we do and being incredibly thoughtful about anything that gets in front of the guest. You know, you mentioned you've got a, a patio. I mean, you kind of share that courtyard with with Clarkwood. I think that's kind of an interesting, potentially symbiotic relationship uh, for both of you. I mean, have you have you talked to Army and Mason about kind of what that might be like? Yeah, we keep in touch. So you know, we we are going to share the patio. They'll be on one side, and then you know, we'll be on the other. There will be kind of a definition between restaurant and um, their side. Uh, but I think that, you know, they're, they're killing it. I mean, it, it's been a, you know, since they opened the doors, it's been on fire. And uh, I think it's going to really help our drive our late night business. So, you know, we've had a lot of internal conversations about, you know, how do we capture that? Do we, do we, you know, not book the nine o'clock seating and do we, you know, plan to have the bar lounge open a little bit later? Um, and, and the answer is we don't know. I mean, but yeah, uh, Army and Mason, we've, we've uh, been in contact on a few things. Obviously, there's a couple of coordination items about how we're going to work the ballet and this, that, and the other. And I look forward to working with them. Um, they've done a great job. They've gotten, you know, just a, a huge following in such a short amount of time. And I think that it's just going to be all that much better for us when we open. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, you got to feel pretty good about the location. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Lewis, let me, let me pivot back to you. I mean, you, you, you're new to Houston. You've, you've only been here a little bit, but have you gotten to see much of the city yet? I mean, what are you, what are you learning? You know what I've learned from a dining standpoint, and this is when I, when I flew out here for like my interview, you know, I hadn't been out in a long time. I, I will be honest. Like I, I kind of had been in an Arbor, hadn't gone out for a bit. And what I noticed here was like the, the act of dining is so there's just a different energy, you know, versus I think San Francisco, New York, like it's kind of taken for granted um, here. It, it seems like it's a, it's a, an experience. It's an act. Like people are dressing up, people are going out. There is that energy of enjoying the act of dining. Um, I saw that Uchi, 
we saw it at Blue Dorn especially where just that there's just a level of uh, appreciation um, for like that fine dining, the act of fine dining. And that, that I think is, is so important for a restaurant like this, but also just the excitement that'll drive a restaurant. You know, I, I just something new to me that I've seen um, and I probably have taken it granted for in the past, but now to see it in this new light has been so good. It just like, it makes me very, very excited for the restaurant um, because it will have that, that elegance to it. Um, but otherwise, you know, I, I just kind of get lost in my way around, you know, I haven't really figured out my way around. So I, I see a lot of neighborhoods and, you know, I love it. I mean, I, I really do. I like try to take a different way home each day and just see the, just, yeah, everything. Well, yeah, we don't, we don't make it easy for you. You know, some of the streets like change names randomly. <laughs> True. <laughs> you're, you're driving down. You're driving down Westheimer and all of a sudden it's Elgin. You're like, where? <laughs> yeah. What happened? I mean, the architectural, like from an architecture standpoint, you know, it's just the mix of new and old is beautiful. Um, the tree-lined streets, Rice Street especially, that that drive like blew my mind. So I love it. It's beautiful. I mean, you mentioned Blue Dorn. Uh, what are a couple of the restaurants you've been to that really stood out? Blue Dorn was delicious. Um Uchi was really, really good. And then, you know, I've only been to, I went to Papacito's Cantina. Um, lots of, got to. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Um, <laughs> and then we went to Doris. Was it Metropolitan at the Doris, Michael? Uh-huh. Yep. We went there. That's really all I've been. I've been trying to do Tex-Mex, a Tex-Mex restaurant on my day off. Um, and then I'll, I know I'm, I'm sure not I'm supposed to else. talk, but I'm definitely <laughs> going to get him out and about. Don't worry. <laughs> I did. I didn't give you out. <laughs> and actually, I'm actually glad you mentioned uh, Doris Metropolitan because, Michael, I, I, I know that that's a, a favorite of yours. It's a favorite of mine. And, and the reason I know is because I've seen you there. Right. Uh, but, but I do think that's an interesting restaurant in the sense that, you know, they don't do shrimp cocktail. They don't do uh, cream spinach. They don't do wedge salad. They're, they're really doing those Israeli flavors, you know, lighter, brighter, lighter, brighter sides. And, and it does kind of point the way to one possibility of a steakhouse that, that feels different and eats different and has a, a different atmosphere. Yeah, no, that's I, I love Doris Metropolitan. And I, and I think I like it because you still get your steak and, you know, that meat that you're craving, but everything else about the meal is a departure from, from that. It's not incredibly heavy all the way to where you can only get, you know, a giant salad that weighs a pound and a half and then get through a quarter of your steak. It's like, you can get four or five different small plates and share them between two or three people. And they're all bright, refreshing flavors. And you still get to enjoy that steak that we all love and crave at the end of the meal. So, it, so, you know, that is kind of a driver and what made, what made us think a little bit about Andar is because that I would say that Doris probably is a, a departure from the traditional. But, you know, I like the traditional, too. So it's kind of like we want to we want to modernize it, but we want to pull those things that we know and love from that celebratory meal of, you know, being able to go to a nice steakhouse when you were a kid and um, still have that that nostalgic feeling to what we do that celebratory moment but kind of redefine the food a little bit you know that's that's kind of what we're looking to do and i think that 
Doris does that in their way. And, you know, we're completely different, obviously, but we're going to try and do that in our way. And, you know, I, I think this may be a kind of a place to wrap this up, but I do think that, that that sense of occasion is so important because that, you know, for the most part, Houston certainly has evolved. You know, I've, I've lived here my whole life. The styles of restaurants that we go to and, and enjoy have certainly evolved, but there is something about a steakhouse that, that collectively as a city, we just love. And, and every time someone announces a new one, you know, everybody on social media is like, ugh, another steakhouse. We have too many steakhouses. Yada. I, I personally don't, I, I can't think of very many that have ever closed, right? right. They, they open, they find an audience. Uh, it seems to work out well for everybody. So, right. uh, you know, I, so I, I do think that, you know, as long as it's good, you know, my, my sort of snarky response to people is, you know, that's not how capitalism works, Right. You get to you get to put your ideas out there and, and invest your money, and if it all comes together, then you know you'll you'll be rewarded. And 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 thank God that that you know you you didn't hear like you know there's there's too many barbecue joints when you open the pit room because because it's great and it's done really well and you put your spin on it and I and I think you know it's all to the good. Well, it's the same thing with the Tex Mex. You know, we heard that we opened. Oh God, not a Tex Mex place. You know, well. Well, I personally have two Tex-Mex places that I go eat, you know, as far as steakhouses go. I personally have two steakhouses that I go eat. I'd like to have a third. And I can't be the only one thinking that. So, um, no, I, I, I agree with you. It, you know, there's room. And it's, it's a great concept. And it's, it's uh, that celebratory moment that people, people enjoy going out for. And uh, that's what we're trying to capture. All right. Well, before I let you go... Lewis, we have to play the lightning round. Five <laughs> easy questions, five short answers. Right, Just oh no, I'm sorry. Oh. Forgive me. I've I've completely neglected uh, to ask you about the one thing that I I wanted to ask you about. You were people's sexiest chef in 2018. <laughs> I was. I, if I if I haven't asked you about that, I feel like I've cheated the audience. Yeah. What was it like to be the sexiest chef in America in 2018? <laughs> you know, it was, it was like a quick 10 minutes of fame. Um, no, they called, they were like, Hey, would you throw your hat at the name in the hat? I was like, sure. Why not? Not thinking it was going to be like this big deal. They came out, they filmed, they had like a competition. And I was like, I, I just signed up. It sounded fun. You know, I got to be on the today show or something like that. Um, uh, people magazine, like my mom, my wife got a kick out of it. <laughs> you know, people are in dentist's office. Sometimes it's the magazine still out there. Uh, <laughs> That's always the best one. That's actually the best. And then, Michael, is it on his resume? Did you know when you hired Lewis that he was the sexiest <laughs> chef? I only knew after the first time I talked to him. And then once you Google it, you can't, it, it comes up. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not at first. Not at first. All right. Well, I'm going to say, now I'm going to say that brings me to the end of my questions. But before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Louis Maldonado, what is your favorite ingredient? Oh, Jesus. Um, salt. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? I have not been to a concert ever. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what, is your, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. 
Oh, Wendy's, uh, the burger and the frosting. Who is your favorite athlete, past or present? Michael Jordan. And then finally, when you're going to a pizzeria, what are your go-to toppings? I'm a half pepperoni, half Hawaiian pineapple. (laughs) Keeping it it controversial. I like it. All right. Got to. Got to. Uh, Michael, give us the social media and the website for Andiron. How can people keep in touch with uh, what you're doing? Yep. So website, andironhtx.com. I think we have a splash page up now that's got some links to hiring and our social media. Social media, Instagram is andironhtx. And then we haven't started a Facebook page yet, but uh, if you follow us on Instagram, we'll we'll link to all that stuff. So we could say coming November? Coming December. Coming December. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Coming December. So stay posted. We'll, we'll, we'll announce more on that when we, uh, we get closer. All right. Well, gentlemen, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon.